0: God for his wisdom today, because that's a big ask, and the passage today is also quite a tricky one, so please join me as we ask for God's help. Our Father God, we thank you that we have your Spirit to help understand your Word, so we pray that your Spirit teach us the, the challenges of his particular work today, and help us to be careful builders upon today sort of closes um, a mini loop that began in the start of 1 Corinthians. Um, If you remember, one of the big issues of the Corinthian church is that yes, they're saved Christians but they had a very worldly attitude towards their leaders. So they kind of saw these leaders and they picked their favourites and they got behind them and caused all sorts of messiness and division within the church. So what Paul needs to do now is he needs to um, we need to retrain their thinking about how to build carefully. And where he starts, he starts with how they view their needs. So come with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 5. But what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Servants, through whom we believe there's a law of son to each. I planted, Apollos word, but God gave the growth. So neither he who planted is anything but only God who gives the growth. How do you be careful to build carefully upon a church? One of the things that a healthy church will have is a healthy view of its leaders and its ministers. And what does Paul say that these ministers like Apollos and Paul, what are they? He says they're not celebrities. He uses the word servants they are servants. And what does Paul mean by this word servants? Um, it's the idea of uh, a channel or like a, an intermediary or a delivery driver. So if you think Uber Eats, servants are like the Uber Eats delivery drivers who deliver your food um, to you when you order. And Paul's saying, you know, these servants, they don't work for themselves, they're servants under the Master, God, and it would be strange, wouldn't it, that when um, your Uber delivery driver, when they dropped off your food, you just started hugging and praising them and saying, "I follow you. You're amazing." You don't praise the delivery driver or the channel. You praise the you praise you're unwavering for the restaurant. is God's field, this is God's building. He's the one who deserves the praise and the honour and the glory alone and not those people whom you're elevating. Notice though what he's not saying. He's not saying that the servants are nothing. When he says, you know, the one who watered and the one who plants, they're not anything. He doesn't mean that these leaders are worth so this is not a text to come up to Huey and ask him to do a tax return because, you know, you're nothing. You're my servant, do my taxes. Um, You'll notice that while servants work under God as the boss, the servant nonetheless is the one whom God used to bring the Corinthians to faith, the channel that God appointed to bring about the faith. So the usage of servant, it protects us from having too high a view of our leaders, And it also protects us from having too low a view of our leaders. Now, I was trying to think about this in terms of um, our congregation, Church at Nine. How does this play out, or how might this play out in a church like ours? And on one level, I was quite thankful because... In, at least in my time at this church, I haven't seen the type of factions like the Corinthian church. I haven't seen um, quarrelling because people have followed different leaders in our congregation. Now, part of that, you might think, that's because there's no one else to follow, but he, he is the only minister we have? <coughs> so even if I wanted to follow someone, there's not really anyone else. Um, but in reality, that's not quite true because there are other ministers There are growth and leaders in amongst us. And we now have access to podcasts and other preachers online. And so one danger that we have is that we start to align ourselves by listening to celebrity preachers, preachers who are very gifted. And we start to listen less to the people who we find less impressive. Or one other danger is have you ever found yourself um, getting along with one particular leader or minister? Maybe because you get along personality-wise, but there's another minister or another leader with whom you have a personality. And maybe you get frustrated, but you don't tell them. and instead you start to feel frustrated and starting to feel even a sense of bitterness towards that leader or that minister. Now, that minister may have lots of things to work on, but maybe God is challenging you, if you feel that way, to see that leader as God's servant through whom the work of the gospel occurs. And that by praying for that person or encouraging them with words or supporting their ministry, you're actually not just supporting things as a person, you're actually supporting the work of God's ministry. So how do you build carefully? Number one, have a healthy view of your lives. Number two, how do you build carefully upon the church of God? Number two, have it. to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on a foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, and straw, each The day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. This is a difficult passage, but it's, it comes to the heart of what Paul's concern is for the current So I'm gonna ask you to really work hard. We're gonna stop for a moment and ask each other a question. I just want you to notice a couple of things in this passage first. The first thing you'll notice is that um, God lays the foundation through Paul, but the foundation itself in Jesus is Jesus Christ. So, if you are going to build upon the church, the first thing is to notice is that you can't build another foundation. It has to be built upon the Lord Jesus Christ himself. But the key motivation in this text... To build carefully, if you notice, is actually because there will come a day, the day when Christ returns, where the works that ministers do but by extension the works that all Christians do they will be tested by God himself. And some of those works will receive a reward they will remain, they will be seen to be fruitful for eternity of those works are going to be burnt up and there will be some sort of loss incurred. Now if you're reading this passage for the first time, it's important to know that um, Paul here is not talking about eternal life with God versus eternal condemnation away from him. That depends on your response to the crucified Messiah and his message. What Paul is talking about is that for believers in the church family, the works that we do will be tested and will be rewarded accordingly. All right, so you're with me so far. You're ready to try and figure out the answer to this question. Those works that we do will either be gold, silver, or precious stones that will survive and be rewarded, or the works that we do will be like wood, hail, straw, they'll burn up, and there'll be a loss. Here's one of the million-dollar questions in this case. What are those works? What are the gold works that will survive? And what are the kind of hay straw works that are going to get through? You've got 30 seconds. Person next to you. See if you can figure out what the works are. You've got 30 seconds. If you're new, just say hello. Ask a with them. The person next to them. Who wants a crack? Just have a go. It's a difficult passage, so we're going to work through this together. Um, what is a work that might be gold, silver, or precious stones? Any volunteers? You can volunteer person next to you. Yes, Liz. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a really, um, I mean, in the context, so Liz said something that perhaps leads to someone's salvation. Yeah, I think, I mean, uh, in the context of the passage, you'll notice that he doesn't specify it now. But you'll you'll notice that um, in the context of the chapters, Paul's been speaking about the message of the cross, which brings salvation, and that's God's message to the people. And so I think a reasonable inference is that something that might be gold or silver that will stand the fiery test will be that which is compatible with the foundation of Christ. Proclaiming him, proclaiming his gospel, is saving work for people, bringing them to faith, or growing people in their own um, understanding and knowledge. Those, those kind of as a reasonable inference of what the gold silver Anyone want to volunteer, what, what might be something that might be like A or straw or that might burn up? And I'll take funny answers as well. Yeah, just, you know. Anyone want to have a go? Being judgmental, so maybe there might be a yeah, so there might be a sense of um something which causes um, division or perhaps is sinful, might get burnt up because I mean, it might be also, in the context of the passage, it might be doing things um, with the wrong motivation. So seeking self-centeredness versus doing things from a pure motive. Because later in chapter four, verse five, he says, that on the day the purposes of our hearts will be disclosed. So I take it then that I can That would be it. But, it would but friends, I think the bigger picture here is that Paul he doesn't specify it exactly, and that's kind of because I'm Asian. Growing up, I, I want to know what it is I need to do to get the reward, and I want to know what the reward is. So I, I want Paul to say, "Look, I run a kids club. That's gold." Every kid's club that you run receives the reward of a Ferrari on the last day, okay? my brain, why doesn't Paul say that? And I think he doesn't say that, because if you think about it, if Paul laid out all the, what gold and silver actually meant, and all the rewards that you get with it, what would happen to the church? Well, it started to become that cycle again of rivalry, rivalry and envy as people start to do things, to specify what the reward is. And I think it does that on purpose. I think the reason is because there's the motivation to do our best to do gold, silver, and precious stones work to proclaim Christ, to lay the right stuff on top of the foundation of Jesus. The motivation God's field, and it all belongs to Him, and He gives the growth. Then what matters on the last day is not what I receive as a reward, but what God gives me as a reward. And whatever it is, whether it is the Ferrari, I'm not saying it's not, but whatever the reward is, because it comes from God, it will be the most wonderful reward to receive the loss because it will be, on the flip side, disapproval from God. And that is a loss that I wanna avoid and it will cause much shame and sorrow. But again, it's not to do with salvation because he says, they will be saved. These are the works themselves The trick in church that good building work requires a proper view of ourselves. Verse 18. Let no one deceive himself if anyone among you thinks that he is wise on the stage. Let him become fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. How do you stop divisions? church. Paul says if you understand human wisdom from God's perspective, then you won't boast in men, because it makes no sense. Why? Because human wisdom is folly to God. Now that word folly, it's where we get the word moron from. So what Paul is saying is saying if you Trust in human wisdom. You're putting your trust in morals. That's effectively what you're saying. And when you stand before God, that wisdom will be seen to be more groups uh, for a uh, kids ministry that I run, we pray for persecuted Christians across the world. And one of the things that's very hard to read is when people um, undergo physical persecution. It's very hard to read those stories and we pray for them fervently. But on the flip side, when I see things like QA, where there's an intellectual there or to disprove the Christian doesn't bother me at all. Because whether it's tomorrow or it's on the day of Christ, their folly is going to be shown in all it's form. It's going to disclose everything about it. And if they don't only way that you and I can understand the mind of Christ is by realising and acknowledging that we bring nothing to know God. The only way is to acknowledge we don't know God's wisdom, and the only way we can know God is through the folly of the cross. That's what he's been saying over and over again in these chapters. So chapter 9, can I invite you to some questions that we can ask ourselves to see if we need to become better fools in the world's eyes. So here are a few questions you might consider. Number one, do you feel ashamed and embarrassed when someone at work finds out you're a Christian? Good, wise in God's eyes. Number two, do you spend lots of your time reading books Do you find yourself wishing that our church ran more efficiently than it does? Number four, do you find yourself less excited about God's wisdom in the cross of Christ, one? Number five is slightly commentary, but in small group discussions, do you find yourself saying constantly, John Clark says this about us? If any of those things apply to you, can I invite you to join me in becoming fools in the world's eyes as we listen to God as He speaks to us in the wisdom and foolishness of the cross which he has given to us, which gives us salvation and enables us to learn and understand the mind of Christ. Our next course that we Of the truth. That the people that you sit next to who have proclaimed faith in Christ, these are the most special and important relationships because God's very presence and dwelling place is there. And so by implication, then there's no such thing as a bare minimum Christian. It probably tells you a lot about me that when um, I was at university, and school, I wanted to get 50, as close to 50 as possible. Because you've heard the adage, you know, fees make degrees. And you can read this passage and you can think, well, look, I'm saved anyway, what's the point of trying too much to get so much gold and silver and precious stones? Because I won't be saved anyway. But if you think that way, it's missing the complete point of the passage. This is God's specialty. sit next to you and love the Lord Jesus. They are your dear brothers and sisters. And to treat those relationships lightly, to cause conflict or division and quarrels, to actually spit in the face of God who loves his Holy Church. So friends, can I encourage you, as I encourage myself, to seek the gold and the silver and the precious stones to build one another up in understanding the gospel more spirit and to keep coming back to the wisdom of the cross and be happy and rejoicing when your friends at work ridicule you for being the fool in their lives let's God Father we thank you that the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us means that it's the power of God Father thank you that your church is so precious Give us each a heart that desires to honour the people for whom Christ is born. Help us to work hard not for salvation,